Divine Truth Assistance Group. These group assistance sessions are about putting principles of divine truth into action. This discussion is part of the Texas USA 2013 series, and it is a question and answer session with audience. Presented by Mary on the 14th of November 2013 in Austin, Texas, USA. This is session six. Cornelius is working through some stuff right now. Um, so he just, he said to send his apologies to the group and Jesus said, you don't need to apologize, you're given a gift. <laughs> but he, he's hopeful that he'll do his presentation to you guys sometime in the next couple of days that we have left. Um, and in the meantime, I'm here again. <laughs> and I'm just here to let you know me. <laughs> because sometimes that's, uh, I hide a bit. And so um, I'm really happy to answer any questions that you have about me, the first century, now, your own progress or process, my, what, my progress and process, um, anything about us, about our lifestyle, anything you'd like to know. Uh, one thing I would say is if you're going to ask about personal emotions, I might not be able to answer you. <laughs> but more than that, um, I would ask you to consider if you've asked yourself the same question that you're asking me. Have you pondered what you're, gonna, what you're about to ask for yourself with God? Um, because part of what we've been really trying to encourage you towards this week is to engage your own process for yourself with God and have this introspective time and ask yourself questions and feel, begin to feel things for yourself. I know that um, lots of people have the addiction of wanting to know before we feel, and so it can, it can feel reassuring if one of us up here says, well, I think that's about that emotion, or that's because of this thing in your childhood, and you go, right, okay, now I know what it is I'm going to go and feel about, and that doesn't actually help you. <laughs> it just feels like it's going to help. But in the end, you still have to face that emotion inside of yourself. So that's what I'd say about personal emotions. I know Jesus has said that he doesn't even want to talk to you about them at, you know, at all because he's really been talking to you about the process to engage. And I'd be happy to talk about that as well. Any, anything, any questions you have if you want clarity about issues in the process. If I've experienced them again now, I'll... Definitely love to talk to you about them. And if I'm still working on it, I'll tell you that as well. So, <laughs> yeah. So anything you'd like to ask, I'm here for however long we want to ask questions. Floyd. Just a question about your, uh, your time before. Yeah. Did you have children? Yeah. I had, um, I had two boys and a girl. But uh, both of the boys passed. One, the first boy passed when he was just an infant in my arms, not long after he was born, just a few weeks or a month. I don't know exactly how long, but that's... Short time. That's, yeah, it was a very short mm -hmm. time. And the other boy I lost... So um, that boy, to give you some background, um, as a young girl in the first century, I was um, sexually abused a lot. And my, I actually became pregnant to my dad. 
and he sold me as a slave because of that, because I, I had brought shame to the family. Mm. And, um, and so I was sort of purchased by what you'd call a brothel, I suppose. Um, and as soon as they found out that I was pregnant, I wasn't... I was to just sort of be the slave or the servant to clean and look after things because I couldn't... They didn't want to use me with men. I wasn't saleable, I suppose. And so I did that until my pregnancy came to term and as I gave birth, I learned that they were going to sell my child also and I really didn't want that to happen and so I kind of mustered my strength and very soon after the delivery, I, I kind of escaped. But I was very young. I was maybe 13 or 14 and um, I didn't have a lot of out-in-the-world skills, so I didn't do very well. And I was essentially, I suppose, on the street, I suppose we would call it today. And um, because I had to try to find food for us and I was a young mother, I didn't really understand very much, um, I actually left him and he passed while I wasn't there, which is very... Still got emotions to deal with about that, yeah. Um, so I have a lot of guilt and shame about that process that I uh, went through. And at that point, I kind of lost the plot completely. I, that was it for me. I'd had this quite a troubled young life and having this child was felt to me like my one thing that I was going to do and I was going to make a good choice. And I felt like I'd failed completely. Uh, um, and I was delayed. I was held back from getting back to him by a group of Roman soldiers and kind of abused by them at that time as well. And so I had a lot of um, rage, just rage towards men and rage towards myself that I didn't want to feel or experience. And so I entered a really kind of dark phase of my life where I sold myself and I tried to gain power back through sexuality. I'd felt so disempowered sexually and I just wanted to... And a lot of spirits influenced me in that phase of my life. And, um, yeah, that went on for a good five, six years until I realised that if I continued, I would die. I, I was involved in a lot of really risky things and very... Um, <sighs> very risque kind of situations involving sex and prostitution and in, in a very dark kind of underworld. And I realised I needed to get out and if I didn't get out, I would die. And so I, um, I had a client who was a, a wealthy man and I kind of made a contract with him that um, if he kept me, I would give him whatever he wanted. Um, I figured one person was safer than this terrible lifestyle I was involved in. And um, if he would do that for me, then I would kind of be his. And so I did that. And I actually, I actually learned to be very manipulative with men through this whole process. And I had a lot of spirit help. And um, eventually I kind of wrangled it that I he bought a business for me to run and actually became a happier time in my life where I 
I was I had a factory and I, sort of I was trading and making fabrics, um, and that was that was kind of a good time in my life. And I had the power to employ other women, so I employed a lot of women who were quite disenfranchised from the society as well, who'd had backgrounds like mine. And I felt this was like the golden time of my life where I finally could make some decisions and I wasn't being totally harassed. There was just this one man who I knew how to control and, um, yeah, so I did that for some years. And somewhere in amongst all of that, I know I had another pregnancy and I miscarried and it was a boy, but I don't know where it happened. Um, and I actually, to be fair, I'll... If you want, I'll keep going with the story. Um, uh, it was during that time, so I'd been doing this for some years with this factory and feeling like finally there was some joy in my life. And around that time, one of the women who I was had working for me said, you should come and listen to this guy talking. And uh, so I did. And um, that was Jesus. <laughs> and he made a very big impression on me. Um, and kind of stirred up a lot of things in me, obviously, that I'd been suppressing, not only about the death of my first son, but about the, the horrible uh, childhood that I'd had. And, um, but I also fell instantly, madly in love with him, and I wanted him to be mine. And I felt I was pretty good at manipulating men, hey? <laughs> I'd done it for decades, and... Uh, so I marched off to make him mine, really, um, at least sexually. I wanted that right away. And, of course, he wouldn't comply with that. He had far too much morals. And he wanted me um, because he recognised me as the other half of him and I had no concept of any of that. But I felt a great deal of love for me coming from him, but I wanted control. I felt very vulnerable to be in this situation and so I tried to control him and he wouldn't allow that which triggered all of my rage my addiction was not being met um, and then I went and engineered a situation sexually with some of the men who were in his company traveling with him so I engaged with a number of them sexually uh, at the same time and tried to engineer it that he would come and see this me in this what now to me feels like such a shameful uh, scenario but I felt like I wanted to hurt him I wanted to hurt him badly for not not letting me control him and so that happened and he wasn't affected either uh, which made me even more enraged and I left in this terrible rage and it was like this whole world that I'd built for the, the previous years in my business and this whole life where I felt in control and safe from men suddenly was just gone again. It was just totally crumbled to the ground. Even though I still had that life, I couldn't manage it anymore. And so I ended up leaving. I kind of ran again from the man who sort of owned me and... And I spent the next year just working through all of that. And so I don't know if this other pregnancy, where that falls in, but it happened somewhere in there. And because I'm not really... I haven't dealt with the shame that I have about a lot of what I just told you. 
um, and the fear that I have around all of those things. I haven't really connected to where that... But I know there's a boy, another boy, um, because I feel him and, yeah, he's come to visit me as well. So, um, and I have this memory of being a mother twice and feeling like I got it wrong really badly. <laughs> you know, both, both boys passed. And um, so then, by the time I worked through all of my stuff or some of my stuff surrounding men and my sexuality, I felt, and my shame and all of these things, all the shame that I'd been suppressing in this rageful period when I went and sold myself was true and I kind of like got it under control when I had this business and then through this exchange with Jesus it just all came back onto me what I'd done as a prostitute and then all the stuff in my childhood and I spent a year just really crying and feeling and raging and eventually I felt brave enough to go back and say I'm here <laughs> you know I still want to be with you and I want to do that more in a soft way now and so we were married after that um, which was a really happy 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 thing for me to finally feel the love of a man and to be accepted in that way um, and then uh, not long after that I really wanted to have a baby with him when we got married I knew that he would probably we talked about the fact that he would, he knew that he would pass soon. And um, I still really wanted to be married and to have a life together for as long as we could. But um, I also felt I wanted the chance to be a mother with him. And um, so we, we fell pregnant with our daughter, Sarah. And uh, I was pregnant with her, I was three months pregnant with her when when he passed, when he was killed. And I carried her to full term. She was born in Egypt. After Jesus died, we, there was so much fear and um, some really heavy stuff happened with me again, with the men around us. They sort of, some men who were with us, um, who travelled with us, really liked me. Some of them just tolerated me because Jesus said that they needed to. And um, as soon as he passed, they felt me as a threat to their control of everything. And um, I was raped again just two days after Jesus died by one of them. And while I was carrying Sarah, and this, again, was such a terrible... I didn't really think that pain could reach the extreme limits that it did. And... Um, and everyone also became very frightened that I would be harmed and that this child would be harmed and had a lot of feelings about lineage and that, you know, all this wonderful thing that Jesus was would be carried down through a lineage of children and because that was the custom of the day, everything happened through a lineage and so there was a lot of emphasis focused on this child and so I was kind of spirited away to Egypt to um, have the rest of my pregnancy. Sorry, I've just got to...
Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, would you like me to keep going with this story? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I was in Egypt until I came until I so I carried Sarah to term, and with me to Egypt came a really good friend of mine called Rachel, who is actually now my spirit guide, and. Um, all this time, of course, the Roman Empire is booming and they are feeling threatened by Jesus and this growing movement of people who feel like their king has come and they want change. And so there was a lot of rumblings and things happening and there was a lot of spirit influence as well to also harm me and harm Sarah. And so uh, there was this constant feeling that we were being watched and chased and this, there was a lot of fear involved in that time. And um, when I delivered Sarah, uh, which was really happy, but of course, well, maybe not of course, but I was still carrying all this terrible feeling that I'm not a good mother. I've really got to get it right this time. I'm freaking out. Like, and, and I don't even feel like we're in a safe place. And unbeknownst to me, um, the other people who were with me decided that um, we needed to leave soon. Something happened. They felt that, um, that people knew where we were and we needed to leave. And so they formed this plan that I would go to France. And so I knew about this and that's what we decided to do. Um, but what I didn't realise was that they had decided that Rachel should stay behind almost like a, a decoy and st keep staying in this place where we had been living for these months and to let, to, so that people wouldn't become suspicious that we had left. We looked like each other as well and they felt that this would be a good idea. Um, but they didn't tell me this until just like we're getting on the boat, we're going, she's not coming and I was very opposed to this idea um, because I felt it was putting her in danger. And I later learned that, yes, she was... They found her and tortured her and killed her because they wanted to find out where I was. Um, yeah, that's really sad for me, and I'm still working through that sadness of what she did. And it's, that's, it's really weird now that she's my guide and we have a lot of interesting dynamics that I'm still working through as well, yeah. So we went to France and I did my very best, a lot driven by fear and guilt, but to be a good mother and to survive and to have this child survive. It was so important to me. And I really wanted her to be able to meet her soulmate on earth and I wanted her to have the life I didn't have, I guess. So that drove a lot of my early years in motherhood. And Meanwhile, I still had this huge passion for the way and for God, and we would talk about it. There was people around uh, who came with us from Palestine, but also we began to be a part of a community, a local community. And over the years, I began to teach again, to teach the way, and, and um, Sarah grew up, and I kind of felt a bit calmer about that, but there was always this feeling that one day someone's going to come for us and harm us and... We were very aware, both Sarah and I were strong mediums and we were aware of the spirits, the spirit feeling of opposition to the way. And so eventually um, 
the time came when uh, Roman soldiers did come and uh, I and this time I stayed and Sarah by that stage had met her soulmate um, and they had children and they left to go, to go um, and I stayed. And to be very honest, I was happy to pass. I felt like I was in my late 50s or early 60s. I felt like I'd had my life on earth and... I wanted to go to my soulmate, you know. I, um, I felt him around often, but I wasn't always trusting that. And, and, I, and I felt a deep, just a deep loneliness attached to the physical existence that I had, you know, the longing for physical touch and the longing for our closeness all of the time. For a lot of years when I first came to France, I really blocked his presence because of the rape that had happened just after his passing. I felt very responsible for that and very ashamed of that and if I had dealt with my stuff it wouldn't have happened to me it's what I was telling myself and so I really blocked him out a lot in those in that early time after his passing which wasn't great for either of us um, obviously because I was suffering and frightened and he couldn't actually help me with that because I was pushing him away but as years went on we, we did have this kind of relationship again and I would channel with him and things. But by this time in my late 50s, I felt like I'm done, you know, kind of. And I'm sick of being afraid and running and always thinking about these things. So, And sometimes now I think maybe that's the decision I should have made right back when I was pregnant with Sarah. Like, I'm not going to run. Why am I running? And... Um, just let things play out, stand for truth in, at that time. But I waited all that time and, um, and I did it then and, and I was tortured and raped and died uh, over the period of four or five days. Yeah. Yeah. So, sigh. Yesterday, when AJ was working with the with the questions on the board, um, he connected shame with arrogance for me, uh -huh. and that was a a real awakening moment for me because I've struggled with arrogance and and I didn't realize that it was actually covering my shame. Sort of like a defense mechanism against your shame. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. And yeah. it was very in place and, and very... And I was trying to deal with it and get rid of it, but in fact, I actually wanted to keep it. I, I realized I, you know, and, and some of the things I was saying and doing when I was here was actually arrogant. Just this... This facade, so yeah, I put on to facade, stay away this from arrogant facade. feeling exposed. Yeah. And, and my question is, is um, I've, been, I've spent the morning, and, and I'm quite happy to spend the time myself to work on this. I'm, I'm happy to do that. But um, I'm just wondering if you had some keys to connect that arrogance and shame that might help me do it quicker. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do it on my own if, if that's necessary, but, sure. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm watching you and feeling your, what you feel about all that, and, and that's, uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what I feel about that is whenever we have an addiction, that's the way we avoid the deeper feeling. So you've, from what you're saying, you've connected, I have arrogance or I, ha I put on this arrogant kind of display and I kind of push and I kind of hold on to this, I'm a bit better and I'm doing okay and all of that kind of thing is sort of a push out and to stay away from... Inside, I'm a bit ashamed, or I'm a lot ashamed, about... No idea that it was there. Yeah. I, none. I had never... That word had never entered my consciousness. The, sh the word shame? The, the word shame. The feeling shame, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what I would do, or what I do, is recognise that, okay, arrogance, every time I use that, it's because I don't want to feel this other thing. And if I'm ever going to feel this other thing, like my shame, I'm going to have to give up arrogance. And so usually what that does for me is when I'm in situations, it kind of begins to sensitise me to then, oh, is this me and my arrogance again? Oh, there it is again. Oh, oh. So recognise you're not going to... Well, I personally can't give up an addiction like that. But I can grow the awareness, I suppose, in day-to-day -day life of like, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. And... Okay, go, okay, let's stop that now and just feel how that feels. What am I... And usually you feel, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to that other place, so I really want this bit. And that's actually, for me, a lot of the way I work through addictions is recognising it in the moment and letting myself feel it. And as you do, feel the arrogance, feel the desire for the arrogance. It's like, feel how much I want the addiction. This is a big way that we work through addictions is recognising it's like the will used in that direction. I want it. No, I want it. Yeah, I really want it right now. I, I want to do this thing. Um, and the more I do that, the more it helps me feel how out of harmony with love it is. And I think that's what is beginning to happen for you, isn't it? You're beginning to feel like, oh, there it is again. Oh, yep, oh, I did it. Oh, actually thinking back, I did it then too. And you kind of, what used to be your happy go-to place becomes this kind of, oh, place where you go, I want it, but oh, it doesn't feel, you know. And this is sort of you, it, to me it's like breaking up the concrete that where we thought was solid ground and the happy place that we go to to feel secure suddenly it starts to kind of get a bit shaky underfoot, and that's a good thing. Yeah, actually, I was, I, was, yeah. I was thinking about a divine truth presentation that I'd like to give, and my guides are saying, well, when you can get through this, yeah. you can probably yeah. do something about it, right? Yes. And, and so I, I sort of would... I, I started the presentation, and then, and then I'd get some guidance. Okay, there it is. And, yeah. and then I felt that there it was, yeah. and, and then I could feel that I, you know, as I was going through it, I could feel when I came out of harmony, and, yeah. and, and I guess my thing is I'd like to, you to just tell me how to do it, and then I can <laughs> go over to, the, to one of the three <laughs> processing rooms <laughs> and get it over and with, and get then that I can bit be out done. Of you. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'd like. Yeah. My experience <laughs> of dealing with addictions is never like it's a one-off thing, because it's, it's concrete, you know, in your life. It's entrenched. You've been using it for a long time. And you've been using it to avoid discomfort. You've been using it to avoid off-kilter socially, often. 
you know, we use these things to help us feel secure and stay away from the, you know, I feel like a frightened little girl up here in front of you guys and, oh, it's so much deep emotion in me that I don't want to expose. So, like the other day when I gave the presentation, I was talking to you about all these things I'm so passionate about, but there was a happy glow on everything because I just wanted to, you to not sort of feel how I kind of feel lots of other feelings inside of me of like, you know, insecurity and fear and I want to get it right and I don't really feel all that put together and all these other feelings that feel, I feel like it's really exposing. So I have this little addiction where I go to, hey, it's, but it's not that bad, you know, and it's like, jolly you along and, th- and that's yucky now, you know, I can't do that anymore because it feels y- yucky. And so my experience with addiction is I can't just go to my room and just have one cry about it. I have to stand up here and feel like it's a bit yucky actually today. But it's funny because it's not that yucky. It's better. It's better even for you, isn't it? It's better when I'm more real. It just feels a little bit more exposed and I feel a little bit more less put together, you know. But I feel more truthful. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing that we have to go through when we deal with addictions. Is that It's not just, oh, I'll go from concrete to the causal emotion. I've got to break it up and feel uncomfortable and feel where I want it and where I've used it and then kind of work with that and feel the discomfort of not... Okay, ethically, I can't go to that place anymore. Or if I want a relationship with God, I can't go to that place anymore. So that means I'm going to have to let this go. Oh, you know, a lot of times I've felt that about addictions. After that presentation two days ago, I was like, no, I want to have it all together. Like, please, when is the day when I get to have it all together, you know? But I don't, so I have to be truthful and kind of get to this... We have to be willing to feel a bit uncomfortable in our skin as we deal with addictions. Um, And that's... it's, It's a process then, and that softens me to these other feelings that are really... that I'm covering over with the addiction. So... My feeling is, Sai, don't... I know you're like like to be a high achiever, a rapid achiever, but this is a process. It's going to take time and you'll feel wobbly and like sometimes you might fall down again and go, oh, there, I did it again. Oh, what was going on there? You know, but yeah, to me it's like this breaking up the solid ground of crap that I've kind of built to avoid the softer part of me, yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Caroline? Um, going back to your first century life, I just wanted to ask, did you notice any difference um, between, like, your pregnancy with your dad, with the dad being the father and then the pregnancy with Jesus being the father? And, or is there... I, I just wanted to see if there was any difference for you as far as your experience. Uh, I mean, hugely different experience. One... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but do you mean because Jesus was the daddy? Or? Because Jesus was at one with God? I'm just wondering, uh, right, what, because is there that. any effect on that, that child on and, the or on fetus, your experience? Like. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose to me it was two pregnancies, and one was with a man that I absolutely was totally in love with, and the other was in a situation where I felt completely filthy and disempowered and yucky and uh, like just it was a nightmare kind of thing so 
realising I was pregnant the first time was sort of devastating and it, it also created this whole... Um, my mother didn't even, you know, even then I thought she might step in. She hadn't stepped in before, but even then I thought maybe she's going to, like, stick up for me and she just totally, like, blanked me and hated me and it was just a, a horrible... But I felt like this little person was the one person that I could love and I could treat well and I wouldn't, you know... So I had all of those kind of emotions during that pregnancy as well as a lot of fear of what was happening around me. Where was I in these, you know, frightening situations? Um, and when I was pregnant with Sarah, or when, when we fell pregnant with Sarah, I suppose, yes, uh, not only was the dad the man I totally loved, he was also at one with God. But I... We were still attracting a soul with two bodies and I guess we we longed to attract the soulmate of someone that Jesus had already met, which was kind of unique and turned out to be his soulmate as well. That's who Sarah ended up marrying. So that's pretty amazing that you can do that um, and that it worked. Um, but I, uh, can you further expand on that? Yes. Um, so, and again, I, I suppose I want to say maybe before I go any further about the process of connecting to my memories. This happens in a very emotional way. So I don't have a movie screen in my head and uh, there's not like dates and there's not, it's a very, it's sort of like, and I always use this analogy because I can never think of it and maybe I've even said this in a, something before, but... Um, to me, it's like the experience of you're going across the road, you're crossing the road, and wham, you get hit by a bus. Now, in your first incarnation, you're kind of looking around, you can see things, you can smell things, the wind's on your face, you step out, you're looking at your watch, you're in a hurry, you feel that, you feel your hurry, you feel like you're a bit distracted. Suddenly, the bus hits you, it hurts you, you're in panic, you're in pain, it's terrible... Uh, you feel it physically and then you have emotions attached with it. So when you remember that as well, so six months after that event, you can remember what was happening on that day, what it looked like, what it smelt like, what it felt like, what the emotions were inside of you. Now, in your second incarnation, when you remember that, you don't have the visual, you don't have the smell, you don't have the skin of, you know, the sensations of the wind or anything like that. You, and you, you can't see a bus coming, but you know you have all the emotions of what was happening on that day. You know for certain a bus hit you. You know it was terribly painful. You were terribly frightened. So it's, it's like having... It's like knowing that a thing happened, but only through your emotions. There's no other... You don't have any other thing that you would usually attach with memory that you guys have when you remember something that happened. Uh, in your childhood or something. Or I remember something that happened in my childhood in this life. It's different. And when I first started to... I experienced this through my life before AJ and I met, but I did not understand what was happening. And meeting him gave me a context what was happening, and I didn't really like it. <laughs> I was like, what? 
I want more evidence. You know, I don't like that I know this thing had happened to me, but I can't really tell you anything else except that I know because I know, I can feel that it definitely happened to me. Um, so then when we come to talking about things like my pregnancies or this or that or how long something happened for, it's like, well, if I've allowed memories, I mean, if I've allowed emotions in a certain, to a certain amount, I allow a certain amount of memories. But if I'm shutting down all my emotions, there's no way for my soul to connect to me and give me memories. So when AJ and I first met six years ago, when I opened up, I had all these memories and I went, I'm shutting that down. And I really didn't feel... After the first year, when I felt a lot of things, for a couple of years after that, I was like, nah, I don't want to feel anything. And that was when I was really angry. <laughs> Obviously, I was holding a lot down. So it's only in the last few years that I've kind of opened up more again and more memories come to me. So when it comes to my pregnancy with Sarah, the real emotions that I've connected to are, and I'm not by any means finished with them, but I've allowed some to the point that I'll allow my fear, which is not very high at the moment, just to the feelings of fear I had. I already suspected that my husband would die. Uh, here's this baby. I so want to be a good mum. I so want to have this child. And I'm so, so, so happy. And I feel the child's doing well. Yeah, the dad's at one with God. <laughs> Pretty good genetic material there. But um, my dominant feelings that I have at the moment, the memories I have are more about what was personally happening for me at the time, which was a lot about um, worry and what's the future going to hold and how we're going to cope with this. Um, and and uh, two days after he passed, I was raped and I was so worried about that. But Sarah did really well. She was born really healthy so, and she was a healthy kid. So I, I imagine that having a dad, one with God, helped with that. Have you met, I know that she's one of the 14, so have you met her personally yet? And if so, was there any type of connection? Uh, so I haven't met her in person, but I have a huge connection to her. Yeah. And she's really not wanting to be her. <laughs> and... Um, I, uh, before I met AJ, she went through a period of time of being maybe slightly open to that and she had memories of her own um, and then she shut that down really hard and she, but as soon as I met AJ, he and, and we were able to speak about certain things because I put a lot of restriction on him when we first met. I said, we're not talking about first century, we're not talking about this, we're any... I don't want to be influenced by anything, I want to know my own mind, which is ridiculous because I'm such a person who knows her own mind. <laughs> like, um, uh, I've never felt that you could really suggest things to me, but I was, very, I was very strict and rigid with him about not talking to me about memories and things. But after time, he did talk to me about the... Well, from the beginning, he said there's 14 people and then I knew that um, one of them was our daughter and I, honestly, yeah, I just had such a strong reaction to her, Caroline. Um, I just saw a photo and cried, you know, not even knowing that she was my daughter, you know, 
just knowing I have this huge connection to her and I still feel like I can feel her. And Of course, because I'm working through these emotions about motherhood as well, I don't know if I help or hinder her. I try to not project anything on her, but I feel quite close to her even though she doesn't want to be close, yeah. And I totally should say I respect her decision not to be close. Like, it's her will, it's her life, and um, yeah. But I miss her. Mm. Nina? I'd just like to, just like to continue, is it on? Yep. like to continue along the same lines. You made a comment about attracting Sarah's soulmate for her. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't answer that, did I? And yep. al also what happened to Sarah After. and how her life hmm. yep. evolved. Okay. Um, so to attract so Sarah's soulmate... When we were making love, we just had to long for the soul of... No, sorry, to attract Luke's soulmate, which is Sarah. Uh, when we were making love, we just longed for the soul of Luke's soulmate. So, so we wanted to conceive, and so we just had a heartfelt longing that was pure. I think. Does so, that make sense? I think so. You'd already met Luke. You knew Luke. I hadn't, but Jesus had. Right. Yes. Okay, I understand. So I get it. I longed in line with that, but he really knew who that, that person was. Yeah, yeah. But I hadn't met him. He'd met him only. Well, he'd spent a little bit of time with him. He just met him. So um, how old would he have been? He must have been He was young. a child when yep. he met Jesus, but he, Jesus would probably have to answer that specifically because I wasn't there but um, yeah he was he was a kid he met him with his father and uh, he was a bright and lovely kid with a big passion for God and they connected and so yeah that's how that happened yeah yeah um, and your second question oh what happened with Sarah oh, yeah so Sarah and Luke and their children left and they got on a boat. Uh, and again, some of this I'm telling you, not because I've connected to the memories, because the memories are quite painful for me. Um, so some of this is um, through knowing their story, through, discuss through what they've um, remembered and through what Jesus has connected to as well. So, but um, they left and they got on a boat to go to Italy and they were found... But Sarah had left the boat to go and do something in the town where they were in port and um, the soldiers thought that her daughter was her and they killed Luke and the children thinking that they'd killed her as well. And um, Luke was a pacifist and so he wasn't going to fight or protect or anything and so Sarah came back to find her family had been killed. And, um, yeah, that was really, really hard for her, um, as you can imagine. Uh, and so she spent a lot of years on her own. Um, she felt very, at times, like she was losing her mind because there was so much pain. She was attacked by men uh, as well. But eventually she... 
um, she kind of founded the movement of women living together, I think, longing for God and kind of uh, like, I don't know if you'd call it a convent, but this kind of tradition. She didn't really want to be around any men anymore because of some of the horrible things that happened to her. So she lived out her life. She died as an older woman in the spirit world. So she died after me, um, long after me, yeah. Just hold it a bit closer, yeah. It doesn't sound... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so she got to live out her life without being tortured or caught, per se. She was tortured at a period... Uh, no, she wasn't caught. She lived out her life in secret, really. No one really knew right. who she was. But there were some very traumatic things that happened to her after her family were killed when she was alone on her own, yeah. But no, she wasn't... She kind of died in um, anonymity, really, uh, from what I, as I said, some of those memories are hard for me because of this mother thing. I'm not fully open to it, but from what I understand, from her memories and from Jesus' memories and other people's memories that I'm privy to, <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Thank you. No worries. Yeah. What else? Yeah, if we go Enrique first and leave. I wondered if you could continue the part where once you arrived in the spirit world. Yeah, okay. You don't have to do all 2,000 years, but maybe <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, the truth is I couldn't do the 2,000 years for Enrique because some of the best bits are uh, really painful for me to remember, actually. Um, and I just have to think about them sometimes, and uh, it's very emotional, and I uh, try to shut it down still. So it's about my developing humility enough to really connect to this. But um, pro probably the biggest memory that I have connected to was just right after I passed, and I was in a lot of pain, uh, like physically as I passed it was pretty uh, brutal passing they on purpose and the spirits involved tried to make it really painful and brutal and when I passed I kind of entered almost into the first fear because there was this pain and terror and all this stuff that it was I couldn't get it out of me I was restricted and being tortured and so as soon as I entered the spirit world I kind of went to this location in the first sphere where all of that could come out of me um, and as that did I had the awareness that my soulmate was there and yeah and so just meeting him again is probably the biggest memory that I've allowed myself a tiny connection to um, because it's just so incredibly beautiful to be together again uh, and uh, something I'd longed for for years, so many years. And, yeah, and he was still great <laughs> and, and wonderful and doing wonderful things. So, yeah, that's probably... I mean, I have a lot of other memories that I allow myself to connect to a bit about really helping a lot of people in the spirit world. But a lot of times I feel... 
I get really frustrated about my condition now as opposed to that condition as I know that I was and able to really assist people with because I was so I had such a strong relationship with God throughout this time after that in the spirit world and just being able to come to people who were suffering and to be able to shine a light literally just because of my faith and my relationship with God and because of what I had worked through because of my life on earth. And um, so I have such a passion to do that again, you know, while on earth, to have that relationship and to have worked through all this stuff I'm carrying, to be able to just be with people and just to have my presence that's not really, you know, to have my faith, I suppose, in their presence, help to open them to to what's inside of them and to God and to heal. And so have a lot of fleeting memories about my ability to do that and the the numbers of people that we helped together and also me uh, as a woman on my own because some people wouldn't even allow a man to be there. They're in such distress. Um... Yeah, so, but again, it, it just triggers a lot of pain and sometimes frustration about where I'm at and, and grief about feeling like I've lost this relationship with God that was the key to everything, to helping people. Um, yeah. And aside from that, I have nice memories, but again, just so fleeting about doing stuff together and creating together. Um, I suppose the other thing that I feel from the spirit world in terms of memories, which is sort of weird because this is the strange thing about coming back and being born to parents with emotional injuries, is that all of your memories kind of come with you. You don't even have any emotions about these memories anymore because you've dealt with them all. And then you sort of arrive with these parents who have emotional baggage. And all of those memories, it's like all of a sudden... They're through the emotions of your parents. So sometimes now I have emotions about things that were, like, for example, in the spirit world, and Jesus might have even talked to you about his emotions about this, but he, he was always going ahead, creating a new sphere, doing his thing, and I, I was good with that. I thought that was great. This is our soul growing and not being closer to God, and I'm... After a while, I'm pretty used to it. I know I just take the next step and there we are together again. Um, And so I didn't feel bad about it at the time. But now, through some emotions of my parents, I feel like I'm never good enough. I'm always going to be left behind. You know, I've always got a chase to catch up to my soulmate. So, yeah, a lot of those feelings about things that were actually good now kind of feel bad. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, Enrique, the whole... 2,000 years in the middle. And you were third sphere when you passed then? So you were of a better condition when you passed then than you are right now? Is that why the yeah. faith in God thing is, like, painful? Um, I don't quite get how the first part and the second part... So I'll answer the first part, and then I'll ask you about the second part. Yeah, so I was in the condition like I'd received God's love to the third sphere when I passed. But obviously, as I said, I kind of came in through the first sphere to get rid of a lot of that stuff and then I was in the third sphere, um, which is a higher condition that I'm in right now. Um, but I suppose when I'm talking about 
this glorious faith in God that I had. I'm talking about when I was in the eighth sphere and above, being able to help people, you know, because for most of my 2,000 years in the spirit world, I was above the eighth sphere, you know, for a large chunk of that. And so there's an amazing amount of faith in God in you in those times and uh, a lived relationship that's expressed through your very being, I suppose, and your actions. And that's the pain I have now where I feel um, I want to be able to demonstrate that to others uh, right now. And, yeah, I'm not even in the third sphere yet. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, because you talked about the faith in God being greater than, so I thought, you're, you're referring now to the eighth sphere and above, but I was thinking um, you were talking about the third sphere when you passed. Oh, I understand. Sorry. Yeah, I skipped ahead. Like, okay. when I'm talking about these memories of the spirit world, obviously it's a long time, and I don't always have the memories sequentially. Right. <laughs> you know, so I've connected to this feeling about when I passed and the joy of that. But then I have other feelings, you know, of just the knowledge of the condition that I had for the majority of time after, in the spirit world, which was after the eighth sphere and above, what I was like then and how powerful that was for others. But even, like, to be in the third sphere and be able to show you that, I'd be really happy with um, right now. So, Thank yeah. you. No uh, did you want to ask something, Leah? Just a quick question. I was just wondering if you remember where exactly in France you, you and Sarah and Luke lived. I know, I've, I think I've heard you say yeah. in south of France. Yep. But where? Leah, you know, I did, <laughs> I'll say two things about this. A few years ago, I did look at a map and I had a big cry around certain areas, which is usually an indication of memory and truth to me, you know, when I really open up around something. So I was looking at different places and I felt, uh, yep, that's where we lived and that's... But, do you know, I I can't remember where they were and that's because of the second thing I'm going to say. <laughs> and that is because I, I have this real aversion to the... what I would call the Mary Magdalene movement on the planet... Um, I feel that it's very spirit-influenced and often by quite negative spirits. And I know that there's huge movements in the south of France kind of glorifying the Magdalene and uh, uh, sort of... All I can say is what I feel from it is a lot of rage at religion and at men and women trying to reclaim femininity and, trying to, and even men trying to, you know, build up femininity... Um, in order to balance the scales and, and all of this stuff. And to me, it feels really... Well, I shouldn't say to me it feels... It is really out of harmony with God's truth, love, femininity even, most of it, because it's, it's done from a place of trying to avoid hurt and trying to avoid feeling powerless and trying to avoid rage. And, and um, I see this... Uh, it's like a growing movement on the planet of this divine feminine thing that feels neither divine nor feminine to me because I can feel that um, the only way we're going to 
experience femininity is through connecting to God and feeling God's femininity, but also healing ourselves, um, healing our femininity. And most women, oh, yeah, I can't think of any Magdalene movement on the planet that I've ever like come into contact with, read a book about, seen anything that does not feel just angry with men. And so I have this... Underneath it all, underneath all the flowery stuff and the, it's all wonderful and we're all sacred wombs and all of this stuff, I, I, which I sometimes, Jesus laughs at me because I kind of have my private like spits about it where I'm like, sacred wombs? What about your arm? It's sacred as your womb. Like, you know. <laughs> because I think I just can feel the knee-jerk reaction in the other direction that's involved with all of it and um, I'm really hopeful that one day we'll be able to see divine or we'll just be able to see femininity like that's the other thing I say to him what's divine femininity what's femininity it's you know from God as well why do we have to have divine femininity I mean the only divine femininity there is is God's feminine nature the, the part of God that's feminine in nature so yeah, so that's why I don't remember because I'm not, I haven't finished dealing with my feelings about what happens in my name. And I know a lot of it happens in the south of France and so I have this real like, I don't even want to know, I don't even want to add to it, I don't even want to, which is not love either. So I have to deal with that and then, then I'll have more clarity. <laughs> Thank you. No worries. Yeah. Michael? Thank you. Mary, were you ever a guide or a guardian for someone? And, and can you say anything about that? Ah, good question, Michael. I don't remember it in terms of guiding someone on earth, no. But that's, like I just said to Enrique, most of my spirit life I've really shut down to. So, uh, But I have had memories very definitely of helping vast numbers of people, uh, both one-on-one -on -one and then teaching to large groups of spirits, you know, helping spirits, sing, single spirits and helping large groups of spirits with my soulmate in the spirit world. But, yeah, I can't... I, I don't have any feeling at the moment that I helped, like that I was a guide or guardian to people on Earth. I know that I have um, spoken to people on Earth and at various times visited the Earth to assist people, but this role of being a guide or a guardian is quite specialised, you know, kind of with that person, uh, which is not a burden when you're a guide or a guardian. And if you're uh, one with God or beyond, it's not even that taxing. You've got a lot of time. You can be with that person pretty, pretty constantly and still kind of have time for other things because the time's a bit different there. But, um, yeah, I don't recall having that kind of relationship with one person on earth for a period of years. Can I ask a second question? Sure. Could you say anything about your influence on the Bible and what came through you and how you're represented or maybe missing? Oh, Michael. Yep, that's another good question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give up the microphone. No, no. I'm sorry. I wasn't meaning it was an unwelcome question. I was just meaning like, oh, yep, there's some more emotions there for me. Um, uh, okay. I have a lot of feelings about... I, that I was written out of the Bible, essentially. I mean, I was removed from the text, any kind of reference to me. 
for a couple of reasons. One, because people felt that they were protecting me and protecting the progeny of Jesus. and the, which, In fact, we were just talking about this morning about how people in their fear can think, I'll hide this fact because it will protect this person. So I'll hide the truth in order to protect the person. But in the end, because we've acted in fear and hidden truth, we end up creating a whole heap more error and doing a great disservice to, to truth and to history and all of these things. So some people removed me for, from the account for what they felt were good reasons, but were actually based in fear and not honouring the very things that they had been taught about, about honouring truth and things like that. Um, but other, in, for other people, it was more deliberate. It was more about not wanting to threaten male power structures. And a lot of what we taught about in the first century was exactly doing that, challenging the, the male-dominant um, society in which we lived and the traditions that we lived in. Uh, so, yeah, so that was all removed from not only, not only was my presence removed and the fact that Jesus had a wife was removed, but also most of his references to most of the references to him teaching about those very things were removed. So, um, yeah, I was definitely removed. And, um, of course, there were, at the time, the Bible wasn't written at the time we were living. So this happened after we passed. People wrote things down after Jesus died. I wrote things down, and that comes to the second part of your question about the book of John, which um, I do feel... <sighs> Well, it's been modified also. But the very, very origins of the book of John, um, I feel, were partly channeled by me from Jesus and partly uh, I wrote about accounts of things that happened when we were together. Yeah. But as I said, very modified and, um, yeah. Thanks. No worries. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you shared before about Rachel, or let Rachel speak to us through you, which was so beautiful. Your your guide. Yeah. And um, but I understand that you have a group of guides, uh, and are you in? Are you close to others in that group? And do you know their personalities as well? Uh, sure. Uh, really, I feel my guide is Rachel and Tim. So Rachel and her soulmate, Timothy. Um, so they are my guides. They're not yet in a soul union state, but they are one soul, and they kind of speak to me together. Sometimes they take it in turns, or, but I often feel both, both of them there. So they would be the people that I generally connect to. Um, but there is a weird thing that happens for me in connecting to my guides, and that is that... It's actually one of the big blocks that I need to work through, which is that they come along and they want to honour me. <laughs> and I feel like, no way, I'm struggling down here, you know, this is a mess and I'm not anyone. And this is part of me. Remember the other day I said one of the biggest things that I'm working through at the moment is just living me, like allowing the soul knowledge of me to be present all of the time. And I, 
I've tried a lot in the past to channel as Mary Luck, like, oh no, I'm just this like hopeless chick down here trying to figure things out. And my guides come along and go, hey, no, you're Mary Magdalene and it's an honour to speak with you and here's how we can help you. And that's very, very emotional for me and so often I shut down a lot of their communications and that's something I'm working through at the moment. And so, so routinely it's just been Rachel and Tim that I kind of connect to. Uh, but I'm sure it's going to open up a lot more as I deal with this emotion. Other times I feel there's other people that we knew who come and speak with us, you know, and I channel Jesus' guides sometimes, and he has cool guides. They're really... um, They feel different from Rachel and Tim, and they are also some of them people that we knew in the first century, and some have been his guides even from the first century, which is, like, amazing if you think about it. Um, to have the same guide as you had 2,000 years ago again. Um, yeah, so they feel really different, but um, I don't, what, what would you like to know about that, or about this channeling now? Thing? Well, you answered it very well, okay. thank you. Yeah, yeah, I just thought if, um, because I feel like I know Rachel from her sharing, yes. and I wondered yeah. if there was, you know, yeah. sort of, yeah. but it's a whole group that you don't know as well as... Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I haven't just let myself connect to, yeah, the, sure. to them as much again. Um, but they, I know them all well from the spirit world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that because of this thing, this block that I've had up to really wanting to feel their feelings for me, but also feel my feelings about who I am during the communication. This limits a lot what they can share with me and with everyone. So. And may I ask one more question? Yes. You mentioned about dealing with your uh, issues around motherhood. Do you uh-huh. mind expanding on that? Um, in what way, Catherine? Just the emotions you feel? Uh, that yeah, I'm I wasn't through? sure yeah. What, yeah, yeah. what you meant by that when you said you're still dealing... Uh, I, sure. I assume it's emotionally, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's very much related to the death of my first two children, so the two sons... So feeling I have, well, that's the first part, I should say. I feel like I wasn't a great mum, you know, and I even feel I wasn't a great mum to Sarah. I feel like she was born at a time when I was really still grieving and I was really missing her dad and I was was a single mum, you know, and it was kind of a harsh environment and a new environment that I found myself in and so I felt I wasn't really there for her emotionally very much and um, and I also was and and the feelings I feel now about the boys is that I feel I failed them terribly you know because of my own shameful past I suppose I feel that I wasn't I wasn't a good caregiver and I wasn't there for them and um, I made bad choices, and so that's kind of the feelings that I have about motherhood, I suppose, is feeling that I wasn't the best mum that I could have been, and um, a lot about their physical care, as well as, for Sarah, the the emotional care and things like that. Yeah. So grief, shame, judge. I have self-judgment and guilt about that, as well as... Um, just feeling inadequate and unworthy to be a mother myself, again, really, yeah. And 
when, when I met AJ, I had a very strong injury from my mother in this life, which was, if you haven't had a baby, you're not a woman. And really, she even said to me, when I said I'm going to live with AJ and have my life with him, she said, well, you will never know. You'll never be a woman. You'll never know what life has to offer, really. You kind of... You'll never understand me because you're not ever going to be a mother. And, um, yeah, and so when I met AJ, I had this feeling like I've got to be a mother soon. Like, please, someone impregnate me because then I'll be a valid person, you know. It's a horrible kind of uh, thing that I feel quite ashamed of now. But I know a lot of us women have that from society, from our mothers, from... You know, even our mothers just feeling like, oh, it's the only one thing I did good in my life. And, you know, and so then we grow up feeling like, oh, as a woman, I've got to reproduce. And so I had that a lot. And over the last few years, I think I've, well, I'm gradually dealing with that as well as opening up to these other feelings about being a mother. And now I almost have the opposite feeling of like, I'm scared for any baby, that, you know, because I feel like I'm going to fail them. And so there's a lot of emotions relating to motherhood that I'm working through. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Just to your uh, right. Yeah. Okay, Boris? Yep. Oh, that's right. I'm gonna, if you point at Boris, that's right. Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you about the channeling Rachel and Tim, Timothy. Mm-hmm. So thanks for bringing it up. Finally got the courage enough to ask. I really connected to that channeling. I really connected to that channeling. Which one was that, Boris? Um, where they were channeling our false beliefs. Uh-huh. No? Another one? I can't remember. It, basically, yeah. they, were, they were saying that... Um, Is it written, video, audio? Audio. Audio, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And when they were basically conveying the idea that we need to embrace the positive qualities of ourselves, that, that would channel the, uh, challenge the false beliefs within us. Yes. And I've, I've, I've connected to many deep emotions thanks to that. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a lot of it had to do with any time that I experienced unconditional love from any person. Mm-hmm. And most of it was from you guys. Um, it, was, it was like a, a really shocking experience very something very simple yep. like I remember asking Jesus uh, to take a picture first time I met him and he was busy doing things and then he just stopped and I asked him when will be a good time yep. so he just stopped looked at me and he's like whenever you like <laughs> and I'm like oh my god that has never happened to me before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've cried over just that one little glimpse yeah. you know and, and earlier today with uh, just looking at a picture with Cornelius yeah. just giving me a real hug not expecting anything like me not giving him anything other than yep. being myself. Yeah. So um, anything you can mention about that, I think it's a great subject. To... Yeah, about um, challenging our false beliefs. Yeah. And things. Yeah. Like, like going the opposite, not not just fo- focusing on, uh, man, I feel so horrible, but also like, like, wow, I I actually deserve. I I feel love. Yeah. You know, from people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably the best thing I can say about that is that Rachel and Tim would like to speak to you guys all before we go home. So, they kind of felt that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're hoping we're going to do that sometime in the next couple of days. Yeah, 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 yeah.
We'd like to do that. Okay. In fact, should we do that? Should we do that? <laughs> but I need a little break before we do that. But is it, do people have more questions? Because we can do a few more questions and then break and then do that. Jen? Yep. Um, <clears throat> I was wondering if you could talk about um, sexual projection. Because yep. there's been a number of people that we've been talking about like not realizing some things going on with ourselves and our parents sexually. And, um, and also, I'm aware that like, I have had sexual relations in the spirit world. Yep. And um, I'm starting to notice some feelings that I'm projecting at men here. Mm-hmm. And um, it just seems like a subject that's kind of ripe because a number of people have been mentioning talking it. about yeah. it. Okay, well, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, I suppose I feel sexual projection is when I... Usually, it's, it's another form of addiction anyway. Let's just say that. It's an addiction that we use to avoid other feelings inside of ourselves. And sometimes we use sexual projection to avoid feelings that are not even related to sex, like feeling unsafe or feeling, um, you know, sometimes women who don't feel safe in situations will just sexually project at men because they feel like, well, if I have the favour of the men, then I feel safer in this situation. So sometimes we're avoiding things that we wouldn't even really analyze if we're just thinking, oh, sexual projections, it's about sex, what was my sexual injury, that kind of thing. But other times we're sexually projecting because, well, usually we learnt early on that um, we could get power or control through this projection. To feel a sense of, sometimes it is a sexual neediness or feeling unattractive or feeling like, we want special treatment from the opposite gender or the same gender. Some people who are even heterosexual sexually project at people of their same gender because it doesn't... Yeah, I'm making a mess of this. Anyway, because I feel like I need to give you a bigger definition before we talk about examples. What do you guys perceive sexual projection to be? Do you have any ideas? Like, we talk about it, but what... Modi? I feel like it is... Because I used to do it a lot because I came from a sexually abusive background, so I did it a lot when I was early on in my recovery from those... You know, starting and I became aware that I yep. wasn't happy unless everybody in the room wanted to have sex with me. Right. And it was an energy that I became aware I was actually sending out. It's a, it's an actual like a energy. Feel, if we say energy is like uh, emotion, it's an actual, it's an actual frequency that moves, leaves my body and goes yep. to the other person, and and it activates them sexually, and then they, co- then we were in a sexual exchange. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so it's a feeling, a sexual feeling that leaves you and it's a desire to hook someone else into a sexual exchange with you. Yeah, and it's specifically a sexual energy that's exiting your body. Yes. Because I remember even I had a friend, I had a boyfriend and they would, and, and 
and I remember she would come over and they would be in this thing with each other. And I was like, I was like, hello, like, yeah. even though they're not touching each other, but it's yeah. palpable. Yes. It's an actual specific frequency that's completely related to, the sec to sexuality and to activating sexual desire. Yes. Uh, yes. So it's a, it is an emotion. If we don't say uh, energy or frequency, we can just say an emotion that we do send out of us that is sexual in nature. So it's not the kind of emotion that we would send out to everyone. It's specific to someone, I want a sexual exchange with you. This sexual part of me and I want you to sexually respond to it. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good definition of sexual projection. Um, I still have loads of shame about sexual projection, which is why I choke a bit. But, <laughs> but um, I know what it is, definitely, and it's, it's like this, Jen. Is it a sexual projection if, like, in my case, I'm really aware that um, I would really love to have the love and attention of a man. Is that a sexual projection, or is that a neediness for okay. love, or is it kind of... Well, this, is, this is where I was trying to... We need to see how many ways we use this kind of projection. Because I, inside of you, you have a neediness for a man's love. But you often use sexual emotions. You, you want to connect to a man, and you want it to be with a special man who's in... Like, it's not just with every person. It's with this guy I want you to find me attractive and I'm going to give you some sexual energy or emotion okay. in order to get that. So does that make sense? It, it's helpful. It's yeah. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a yes. <laughs> well, it's helping me to, to get a clearer picture. Yeah. It's like, important for you, Jen, to look at this one because you yeah. do it. Um, and there's, you, want, you want a lot of things satisfied through sexual projection. Power mm -hmm. as well. You want to feel powerful. You want to avoid feeling lonely and alone. And so you, you project sexual emotion at a man and you want him to give you sexual feelings in exchange. So this is what I'm saying. We can use these sexual emotions to avoid... Just like people use sex to avoid a lot of emotions. Hey, and... A lot of people go, but I'm not sleeping around. But actually, from, from an emotional perspective, we are. We're putting out... A, 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 we want sexual activity with this person on a, on a spiritual or emotional level, if you like. There is a spirit-body interaction that happens. And even when we, we're open, like a lot of people even open themselves to sexual projection... Uh, they have holes in their spirit body and it allows sort of like this, it's almost like getting felt up by another person. If we work on the, the emotions of the, the pain and grief of not feeling loved by daddy, um, is that going to automatically heal the sexual part of it? So ask yourself that question first. Well, I think it's going to be a huge step. It seems like the sexual projection is an attempt, like one more try. Like if I try this, I might get daddy's love and attention. Yeah, and for a lot of us, it's not even one more try. It's like the first thing we try. 
Mm. It's like, yeah, I don't want to feel any of that. And I've got this range of, what did we call them yesterday? Addictions. I'm going to stand this way. Addictions we use to get away from it. So this is an addiction you have. Yeah, another layer. (laughs) So how, yeah, for you sometimes it's a top layer, yeah. So how are you going to be able to just go and cry about feeling unloved by a man? I don't know. feeling needy? Well, use logic in this answer. If you've got an addiction, Mm -hmm. are you going to just go and be able to cry about the causal emotion? Say the... Say the addiction is sexual projection. Okay. Which for lots of us it is. Are you going to be able to go, based on what Jesus no. talked to you about and right. what I said okay. today, no. are you going we to be able to, to go, feel... oh, I do sexual projection. That's a bit icky and shameful. Yeah. Forget about that. Right. Let's just cry. Right. No, I hear what you're saying now. Yeah. Okay. So I actually yeah. need to feel how much I want that sexual projection and how it feels when I'm doing it. Yes. And just sit yes. with that when it's happening and just feel oh, it. You can own the projection. Yeah, and okay. Feel, like, catch yourself doing it. Whoa. There it is. There it is. Yeah. What, and let it, let it teach you about your emotions. Because at the moment, a lot of times we're guessing about what's driving our addictions. Right. But my experience is feeling addictions when I'm willing to and when I'm humble to, this shows me a lot of other emotions that intellectually I wasn't even getting to. And I, sometimes I find, I was telling myself a story, it's all about daddy not loving me, when actually daddy treated me like a princess and I've got an unloving expectation. It can be something that completely surprises me or something about mum. That's how I got power over mum. We don't know until we just feel through each layer. Is there a way we can know whether it's um, coming from back in our childhood versus something we've learned now? Because I almost feel like I've learned it now. Like it's a, a, how would you how would you how would you find out where it comes from? Just feel it, yeah. yeah, and stop trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's sort of sexual projection is something that lots of us panic about because it triggers this other emotion. What's that emotion? Shame. Shame. We go, oh, I can't feel shame. Let's figure it out really quickly so we can stop doing it. And everyone can stop talking about it. And it'll all be okay. And we'll just have a cry. And, you know, I'm good with all men, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So recognise how much panic we have about this sexual projection issue and we're going to have to feel some shame, you know. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Mary. No problem. Is there other questions about sexual projection? Because, no, okay. Gabby is, yep, and then we'll go to you, Julie. So, if if you have a sexual projection, um, can spirits hook into that and it really gets like to the point where, because I remember this one time, um, I projected sexually, and um, it got to the point where it was in a restaurant where I wanted to get up and actually go over there and hug and kiss the guy. It was really bad, so I actually had to (laughs) swap seats. (laughs) So 
so I wouldn't see the, the person anymore. <laughs> that was a good, uh, you know, physical remedy to a huge emotional <laughs> problem. <laughs> Wasn't aware back then of <laughs> anything. Of anything, yeah. yeah. Um, y- yes. Like most of the time spirits get involved with sexual projection. It's a huge thing that happens all around us all the time, doesn't it? And for a lot of people, it's sort of even um, like it's okay to sexually project at a movie star, you know, or it's okay to go, oh, yeah, he's a bit of all right, isn't he? Or, you know, or check out women on the beach or, or whatever. It's kind of there's, there's this socially acceptable way to sexually project And spirits love that because they can get right involved with that. And they can get involved when you're just open or or whatever. And sometimes spirits get involved on either side of the projection. So I've, you know, I've got something I want to avoid. I'm going to sexually project at this person. They've got a matching injury. They start sexually projecting back. Spirits go, this is awesome. We can get these guys in bed within half an hour. Yeah. And we can we can feel good. We can f- have that experience with them, you know, which is kind of almost what happened for you, wasn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so spirits can, will often try to connect, and some spirits stay connected to people who who have this addiction really in play, and they they actually kind of engineer hookups, if you like, for these kind of people, and um, yeah, that's really really common for spirits to be involved. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Okay, is is it on sexual projection again? Yep. I was wondering what the spirits get out of it because I feel with me they're trying to degrade my condition due to yeah. my desire to know more about this. And so that's a motivation because like the if they're trying to hook people up you know, I'm in my 40s, my hair's falling out, I'm missing teeth, I'm kind of overweight. It just seems like, aren't there any young college guys they could be hanging out with? Like, what, what's the benefit? <laughs> There's plenty with college guys. But, um, <laughs> not all of them, I'm sure, but I, in my experience, there's lots of college guys. Um, Look, there can be lots of reasons. So I just listed one to engineer a hookup. But sometimes... Um, we attract spirits who want to sexually project through us because they want to feel powerful over women. They want to feel, you know, and that matches to an injury inside of us. That we're, So we're willing to allow that projection or the enhancement of that projection because we're just angry at women and we want to make them feel a bit small or icky or whatever, so we sexually projected them. And receiving a sexual projection doesn't feel that great unless you're in a codependent addiction with it. And then it only feels good because you're in an addiction. But, or if you're in love with each other, you can sexually project till the cows come home then and it feels good. Um, but if, you are, if you're sexually projecting at someone who doesn't welcome that projection, it can feel kind of degrading. You, you're wanting to put sexual... You want to have a sexual exchange. It's an unwelcome sexual exchange you want to have. It's like trying to take them, this is how you see them and you're trying to do this. So they just have the same emotion as me and they just enjoy the emotion. Yeah, yeah. The spirits can just feel like, yeah, let's go and bag on some women, some more women today because it's pretty yuck where we are and these, there's ready access through this guy, so let's, let's go for it, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, I just think um, it's kind of sad where they are if that's all they're doing. 
Yeah. I understand the, satis the satisfying emotion is a satisfying emotion. I just think, I guess I don't know what it's like in the spirit world. And if they're so limited, that must be their experience. Yeah, there's a lot of people in a lot of darkness and sadness in the spirit world. And Are they also attracted to me and kind of limited through the law of attraction as to where they can go? Are they stuck to me? You mean, so you're still with the college guy thing? You feel like they do, is that what you mean? Like, No, like I think it's been said before that some spirits don't know why they're attracted to the person they are and it's because there's an opportunity there, but they yep. misuse it. Yep. And I wonder if they're stuck or some are kind of assigned through the law of attraction to certain people. Well, the law of attraction doesn't really assign people. It just is in operation all of the time and it acts it's in action all of the time. So the spirits with you are with you because there's, um, there's opportunity for sure because you have some injuries that allow their presence. But there's also kind of codependent addiction that you're in with them. They make you feel better about yourself. You let them do what they want through you, that kind of thing. So, and often they're in, they've had a similar life or background. Or there, it's not just one thing that causes an attraction with a spirit, usually there's like multiple things that make, especially a long-term spirit attachment, there's usually multiple things within you and them that create like um, harmony, I suppose, if you like, through the, through either through codependent kind of bartering, I'll give you this, you give me that, or through the fact that you feel really similar about a whole range of things. So that's, that's why they're with you for both of those reasons. So whenever I heal that emotion, they'll be gone because they're free to be? Yeah. I suppose it's not as simple as he, when I just heal that emotion because remember, there's a whole addiction and codependence and all of these things in play. So I feel that you could even help these guys, you know, as you work through things, as you focus on your addictions, when you want to own your emotions or feel your addiction more than act in it, they'll find less rapport with you. But at that moment, you have the opportunity to even help them to go to somewhere brighter. Like you said, they're not that happy. Yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to talk to them some, but I don't know if I, I don't feel as much rapport with the middle of the road ones who can be helped. It seems like I maybe hear from the darker ones, who are maybe... Did you say you, you feel, hear from the middle of ro the road ones that can be helped? I don't. You, yep. Like, I have an idea that not all spirits are, like, super, super dark. There's probably some who have no idea what they're doing, and they're just doing all they know. And so I feel like when I do, maybe because of my fear is so great of the darkest, that when I do try and, and talk to them, it feels like I hear from the darkest ones who are more happy to come forward and just say, like, horrible things. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe I'm so afraid of them that I don't even really attempt to feel the ones that are... Because I, I, think, I think logically they must be around and they just know no other way, and there's probably a great opportunity for us to help them. Yeah, I suppose... I feel that all spirits can be helped. It's just about the, the way, just like all of us, the way they're choosing to exercise their will. So we can offer help to anyone. So if someone's talking to us and they're attacking us, we can offer truth. And if they reject it, okay, that's, that's their decision. 
But if I was you in that situation, I'd be looking at what emotions. Why am I only ever hearing from spirits who are really attacking me? Because I'm open to it. Yeah, but I think that's a throwaway answer. I feel there's a lot for you to, to feel about about what does that make me feel? What does it make me? Be what beliefs does it help me reinforce about the spirit world, about my life, about how we don't have to? It's impossible to shift, and I'm afraid of these people, and you know, all of these things. Like I would be looking sincerely. This is a huge attraction event that you could actually deal with some emotion through. Um, but I feel like you're sort of just going, oh, and I can't even help you guys, and I can't hear from the guys that I could help. And really that's sort of trying to dismiss the whole attraction. I feel there's a lot there for you. And actually, as you do, do want to feel things, that will change these attractions. And I would also question your desire to really hear from people who are like you. Right. Because... I feel that you don't always want to face, or you often don't want to face yourself. So how are you going to talk to spirits who are in a similar place to you? You don't want to face that. Sometimes I say, like I try to point out, aren't you in a lot of pain? Or I try to like reason... I'm going to stop you because I just said really big things to you and you're not uh, connecting to it, you know? You're sort of, yeah, you, you're still on this other train of thought which shows that you're not really hearing what I'm saying what I'm saying is actually I feel quite important to what's happening with you with spirits okay okay is there more on sexual projection or spirits yep and then Roberto after that and then we'll get to Julie yeah. um, this is actually a subject that I've spent the last eight months dealing with um, because it's the foundation of sexual predatorness. This sexual projection issue, yes, you mean? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I was working with it all morning. In fact, that's what I would like to someday do a presentation on. Yeah. And where I was getting some real guidance on how to do it humbly and not in arrogance because um, I've actually felt quite proud of it. Yeah. And... Um, Basically, I lived in 24-7 sexual projection. It's mm -hmm. how you control a crowd. Yep. It's how you control a meeting. It's, it's, I mean, you can run the whole world with it. Yeah. And, and, and really, the world is being run, in lot. my view, <laughs> yeah. um, by sexual projection. A lot, yes. And, um, and a lot of men look up to other men who do it really well, don't Oh, they? absolutely. They feel like, yeah, well, wow, look. They feel it too. They yeah. feel it coming from you and, and they see it connecting and they see yeah. responses and, and basically you get this whole sparkling thing happening in your world where everything is all sexually charged. Your whole yeah. world is just sexually yeah. charged. Yeah. And, and really the whole world is there. It's, it's very sad because there's not much reality in anything. There's not much morality, is there, from, yeah. in this, from this place around sexuality. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a, a thing about to go see Miley Cyrus, uh -huh. um, you know, front of the line tickets from American Express. And I went like, how could a mom help her daughter buy tickets to go see that show that we've all, we've well, all seen? Well, I haven't and, seen and, it. And, I don't know and, about and, it. And that's just, a, that actually, yeah. that's a silly sidetrack, so we don't need to. Okay. But I just, 
you know, I think we all, I mean, one of my goals when I came here was not to sexually project at you. I mean, I really, I mean, I did a lot of work because I'm, I'm, I come from that predator world and didn't want to bring that. And I think that conversely, we can shut all that down and kind of take the magic sparkle out of maybe out of our world, right? We can become so resistive to any kind of interchange in case it is that. Yeah, well, this is, this is, um, this is probably a good point to make. When we realize we have this addiction to sexual projection, then we can just go, right, I'm shutting down. I'm not making eye contact with anyone. I'm just going to be like here and there's not going to be any... And does that help you deal with the addiction or any of the layers underneath? It doesn't. And usually it's because we don't want to feel shame about the fact that we just did it, you know. And actually we're going to have to feel... If the shame is triggered, we're going to have to feel it. And it, when we feel it, we'll feel clearer about what's really going on. Because at the moment, even the fact that, oh, when I do this, it triggers shame and I don't want to feel shame, that takes us even a step further away from all the emotions associated with it, doesn't it? But I, do you understand what I mean by that? It's like almost like we... Do, we um, We act in the addiction and then we, we kind of called on it or we realise it and that triggers shame and we want to shut down the shame even. So we're like, I'm only feeling from this point up and I'll modify my behaviour even maybe to stay away from all of that. And I mean, it's good. We don't want to go around sexually projecting at people but if we completely try to shut ourselves down emotionally in order to avoid even the shame... We're not going to even hit what the addiction is about or the fear that's underneath it or the grief. So, yeah, I, I don't feel necessarily that our world is going to sparkle in the same way. <laughs> that Because really what we say is sparkly when we're sexually projecting everyone and we've totally got power and control everywhere. When we really connect to that from a soul level, we're going to feel probably a fair bit of shame about that and feel how out of harmony with love it actually is. Um, but I, I do feel that most of us realise we sexually project and we go, oh, I'm ashamed, I don't want to feel about it, I'm going to go off in another direction or I'll try to cry about something and actually miss the fact that we have to feel the shame and our avoidance of shame even is going to interfere with us feeling the addiction so we know, actually, we're going to have to feel shame and feel what the addiction is about. Uh, yep, AJ, why don't you step in? Oh, I thought you'd put your hand up. Huh. Yeah, I just want to add for people's... Uh, just Do you want to, to stand up over here? Okay. Um, I just want to add for everyone on this subject. It's, I see everybody trying to think... They're trying to make their sexual projection out to be all innocent. Yeah. Um, as if it's like some kind of innocent behaviour of a bystander when it's actually almost a rape of another person or, or a desire to sexually engage with another person at least. And, and most of the time it's about power. Mm -hmm. so, so the reality is the addiction of sexual projection most of the time covers other addictions of wanting power and wanting control mm. and 
wanting to abuse another person, wanting to make the other person feel lesser than yourself, or, or wanting to use them for your own sexual gratification. Or, and there's quite a lot in there that we're missing out in all of this discussion, I feel, because most of us want to believe that we're nice and innocent and actually we have better... We have a, we have nicer, we're nicer than that. That's yeah. what we'd like to believe. Now, of course, and many of the spirits, by the time, once they pass, they don't care about how nice they look anymore because they know they look terrible when they're in this... When a person sexually projects all the time, they're basically having sex with all sorts and sundry, which means that their, their soul condition is very, very low. And so when they pass in the spirit world, they look very ugly, so they don't care about how they look anymore. They just want the feeling. And so all they do is, like, it's all about the feeling then for them. And, and I feel that for a lot of us on Earth, it's all about the feeling yeah. as, as well. It's all about the feeling. It's not, it's not that we've got some innocent emotion like Daddy didn't love me, so this is why I sexually project a lot of the times. It, you know, there's plenty of people on Earth whose daddies didn't love them and they don't sexually project. Exactly. So, so like, this is all about our abuse of sexual energy in order to have both sexual and other addictions met. And, and we need to be a lot more, I feel, a lot more firmer about the discussion. I know some people feel a bit embarrassed about it and they get a bit, you know, laugh a bit about it. But in my opinion, it's such a huge issue. The sexual part of you is a huge issue. And when it's used out of control or out of, out of, out of harmony with the way God designed it to be, out of harmony with love, it does huge amounts of damage. Like, like one third of the women on this planet generally are either abused or raped in the, in the course of their lifetime. That's huge amounts of damage being done. And then if you add that to the spirit damage that's being done, and then there's the, the damage that's done intergender, back and forward between the genders, basically. And, and, and when you add that to the fact that all the sexual energy you absorb is like the part of the other person entering you. And, and when you give out sexual energy, you're entering the other person. And if you add all of that together, you start considering all of that. It's a, hu it's a huge issue that um, is not just about, but it is a lot about desire for sex, desire for sexual power, desire for sexual control, sexual rage, fear sexually, it's like, and all of those issues yeah. are all part of it. But, but we're not as innocent as we believe we are most no. of the time when it comes to doing it. Yeah, and usually by the time we get to projecting it outwards, there is a lot of, that's a, an intentional thing, isn't it? Where we are saying, I want like power control, or I'm so angry at your agenda, I'm going to, I don't, you, that, you mean that little to me that or, or you just, just... Or even just simple, I want to rape you, but I'm not going to go and do it because I'll get put in jail. So what I'll do instead is do it energetically. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's often, or, or if you're a woman, oh yeah, I'll, I'd like to have sex with you, but of course I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it, you know, be the first one to do it. So I'm going to, you know, first project out all of this stuff that you can do it for me and with me so that I don't have to feel like I'm a bad girl when yes. you want to have sex with me. And also sometimes you want, if you're a woman, many times you want a guy to feel sexually interested in you just so that you can reject him. Yeah. <laughs> just so that you can make him feel terrible about himself, even desiring you. Like, and so there's a lot of very dark emotions involved in this addiction of sexual projection. And we need to be very much more honest about you know, our true desire to do it rather than go, oh, it's all something to do with some grief, you know, related to some belief system from our childhood. It's not often the belief that's underneath. Remember, the addiction covers the belief. 
So for most of us, the sexual projection is an addiction. It's not the belief. Right? Yes, so, so, definitely. So it, the sexual addiction is a choice. It's a choice you made. And many of us made it very young, but, it's, but, but, but we continue to make it as adults all the time. It's a choice we are making to harm another person through our sexual energy. Yeah. Thanks, babe. Thank you. Knife of truth. Yeah. Okay. Anything more on that? <laughs> so who? No? No? Okay. Oh, Roberto, you did one. And then we'll go to Julie. Yeah. So it's possible that, that we uh, want to connect uh, from an injury in the heart to another woman and then want to connect uh, sexually to another woman? Uh, so you mean you want to have an emotional relationship with one woman and a sexual yeah, relationship with another? Is that possible? Uh, so I feel when we're in harmony with love in our heart, our sexuality is in harmony with that as well. That's what I feel. Like when I really love someone in a pure sense, I, I don't want to share my sexuality with anyone else. So my sexual projection is in harmony with the desire I have with that, for that one person. But I, I don't really know, Roberto. I feel technically you could have an addictive desire for an emotional exchange with a woman and an addictive kind of desire for a sexual exchange with another woman. Is that what you mean? Is that... Yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. that could be possible. Yeah, well, I think for a lot of people, it's like going on all the time with lots of different people. But Jesus, you want to clarify, that'll be good because I'm a bit... Yeah, if most of us think about it, uh, we actually have an addictive relationship generally with our, with our parent, our opposite gender parent in particular. And we also have a sexual relationship with our partner. So... So, in, un in other words, we often project at our mother, if we're a guy, we project at our mother feelings like, I want you to look after me, I want you to tell me that I'm a nice guy, I want you, you know, all these things, which there's sometimes partially sexual desires in amongst that as well. And then, and then we want to have the sexual relationship with our wife, let's say. So that, that is a mixture of emotions and sexual things being projected all over because we want to avoid different emotions. So... So it's possible to actually have sexual exchanges with hundreds of different people while you have an emotional co connection with one. Mm. But it doesn't mean, as Mary's pointed out, that it's actually pure. When it's pure, the only relationship you will desire sexually or emotionally, other than God, will be your soulmate. Not, you won't even desire your parents anymore. You won't even desire your children anymore. Like when I say desire, you'll want to love them, but you won't desire... A, the relationship to be in place as the one and only relationship. But so I see a lot of parents making their son, like many women, making their son the ideal man. And so that's a sexual projection at their son. I see many men making their daughter the ideal woman, so sexually projecting at their daughters. I see many, you know, many people not even sexually, they, they enter a relationship with their partner because of security, but then they sexually project at other people but then partners meeting their security needs. So, so the reality is we can have almost any combination of relationships that there is, um, no matter what the situation, 
we can have almost any combination of relationships, all because we're unwilling to purify the love and particularly purify the sexual part of our love. So a sexual part of our love, the way God designed it to be, was that it would only be for your soulmate. That's it. So if you've got an emotional relationship with someone and a sexual relationship with someone else, you've got a problem in both of those relationships if they're both projected at the opposite gender because the only full, complete relationship you need is the relationship with your soulmate because that's the other half of you. Of course you're going to have to have it <laughs> sooner or later. And the reality is the majority of us avoid those kind of feelings because what if our soulmate's fat or what if our, what if our soulmate's bald or what if our soulmate's old and we're younger and what if, or what if our soulmate's young and we're older and, you know, we've got all sorts of issues about all these different things that we've got to work through to get to the point of some purity with regard to I only want to have a sexual relationship with the other half of myself, that's it. I don't want to have a relationship with anybody else. And I even would only want to have an, a, a fully-fledged, deep emotional relationship with the other half of myself. Yeah. And if I need it with somebody else, that tells me that I'm just avoiding some other addiction. So whether, whether, we've, whether it's an emotional addiction or a sexual one, it's still an addiction and it still needs to be addressed. I notice some women try to have a soulmate relationship bar the sexual element with their friends who are women. Like a lot of women feel like, oh, I just, I can't talk to my husband or my partner, but I have my girlfriends and we get together and we have this, I can share emotionally, I can, we talk about things, I can think about ideas with them, share my dreams with them and my frustrations with them and all of these things. And really what they want in their best friend is, it's really what belongs in a soulmate relationship. And then they just have sex and babies with their husband. I've seen that a lot. Um, and I, it probably happens for men too, hey, where they go with their mates fishing or whatever and they kind of have this business or codependent relationship with their wife, but really the biggest part of their heart is open when they're with their mates or their, we call it mates in Australia, you know, their guy friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, Julie has been wanting to ask a question for a long time. Hey, Mary. Hi. I was just thinking of the sleep state talk yes. that was given and, and just how powerful your sharing was. Um, and then just thinking of asking you, how, how aware are you in your sleep state and what's that like now? What's going on there now? Still a bit sad what's happening in my sleep state. Um, it's a lot better, but... I still have a great deal of shame and a feeling that I am a nasty person. And so my most recent connections with my sleep state have been myself uh, kind of in a space where it's a shared space where people come and go and come and just use a room for the time they're asleep, kind of. Um, and so I don't have a feeling yet in my sleep state that I can take up my own space or create my own space. So I just come to this, this kind of like a, a share house, I suppose you would call it, and I just enter a room that's vacant and shut the door and stay, want to be there on my own for the time that I'm asleep and just kind of be by myself. So, yeah, it's not that awesome. <laughs> But it feels markedly different. 
um, there's kind of a time where I felt like a lot of um, the sexual exchanges that I was having in the sleep state, I felt like this thing happened where I couldn't do that anymore morally. But that didn't mean that uh, at times when I was feeling really low and bad about myself in my awake state that I wouldn't go and I'd wake up and remember that I'd been in situations where I'd almost like this thing that AJ was talking about where I sort of was wanting sexual validation from others, from men. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't engage like physically or I wouldn't let much energy out of me, but I still wanted that feeling from men. So I went through a period where that was happening. Um, and yeah, but now it sort of feels like I'm just alone uh, because I don't want to. I'm just feeling really bad about myself still in that state, yeah. Um, yep. I don't really trust, and I think the feeling is I don't trust myself, and so I'm still working through a lot of these moral issues. Um, yeah, because of my memories, I have a lot of sh sexual shame, and because of my anger and my lack of humility, I've made a lot of choices to want power and to want to harm, really punish and harm my soulmate because of I don't want to feel these terrible feelings. And um, I'm a lot more connected to those feelings now, but I'm not going to lie and say they're all gone. <laughs> I just feel like there's a, like I have more of a feeling of like, I don't want to act, be as actively angry with them anymore, but this still happens where like, sexually projected a man out of the blue and I know I, there's so much there. I have to go through that thing of like what's going on for me right now and and um, a lot of, I've realised a lot of the rage I have about just, I feel so exposed talking about who we are in the rest of the world and I feel like no one's ever going to accept us and I'm always going to be ostracised and all of these kind of feelings I've blamed on my soulmate, and so there's times when I still want to punish him in a way that hurts him, and yeah, I'm not really proud about it. <laughs> yeah, it feels pretty yucky. Yeah, but it's a bit better in my sleep state. But truthfully, I, I walk around most of the time with a lot of feelings of not feeling very good about myself, and my sleep state is reflecting that, where I feel like I'm not good enough to take my own space. I don't feel like I'm still a very good person. I still have a lot of guilt, and so I shut myself away, and yeah. No worries. Yeah. Anyway, I reckon that's a good place to break. I'm just, I'm not sure about channeling. I know I built you up, but uh, I feel like we need a bit of a break before tonight's activities. Uh, I think we're going to do some karaoke tonight and I'm looking at the, the man because he's in charge of karaoke. <laughs> uh, yep, you want to do that. So, and we wouldn't mind catching up with Caroline, Robin and Michael now, I think. Would you like to do that, AJ? Yeah, so maybe I'll just finish there and see you at dinner and say thanks so much for being a lovely audience and, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you.